It's Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning. I'm Sam, uh, one of the team here. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please would my words be used to build us up, to build up your kingdom in which you alone are forever praised. Amen. Amen. Well, I was glad to hear you join in with that final praise the Lord and the, the enthusiasm that Casa brought. Thank you for reading it so well, Casa. Um, I've called this morning's sermon Forever Hallelujah. Hallelujah is one of those funny Bible words that I think we often associate with caricatures like Ned Flanders who go around proclaiming hallelujah whenever um, something happens, good or bad. You know, uh, the sun is shining, hallelujah. It's the Lord's day, hallelujah. I've stubbed my toe, hallelujah. Well, hallelujah is the word that begins and ends this psalm. And it's not an empty word, it's an exhortation. It literally means hallelujah. Praise the Lord, Yah. Yah, short for Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God. Praise the Lord. And it's an encouragement to one another as we declare and remind ourselves that our God is worthy of praise. Who do we praise? Where and how do we praise? Why is praise so important anyway? Well, this psalm, if you um, had a physical Bible open in front of you, uh, would have been obvious it's the last psalm in the Psalter, the final psalm. The next page would be Proverbs, but you don't get that when it's on the screen. The best description I've come across of the psalms is prayer and praise in the footsteps of the anointed king. Prayer and praise in the footsteps of the anointed king. Over these next few summer Sundays, we're going to be jumping around, dipping into several psalms. And the psalms are perfect for that, each of them more or less standing alone. Great as we come and go over the summer. But the downside of jumping around is that we, we don't get the overall picture. And we get the impression that it's one big jumbled collection. 150, as it turns out. But when we look closer, we find there's just a little bit more to it. The Psalms aren't just a a toolbox uh, of tools kind of randomly thrown in, but there's order, there's structure, and they take us on a journey. They're a roadmap, if you will, for the Christian life. Take the Psalm we've just heard, for example. It's clearly climactic, clearly designed to be the grand finale to the Psalter. And if that's how the collection ends, how does it begin? Psalms 1 and 2 offer something of an introduction. And right at the start, it says, book one, 
Psalms 1 to 41. There are five of these books. And through those books, we're taken on a journey from primarily lament to primarily praise, ending, as we've seen, but with five Psalms, all topped and tailed, praise the Lord. And by looking at the very final Psalm as we start uh, this summer series, I wanted to give us a sense of that journey. So we're going to look at the psalm in four sections, the why, the where, the how, and the who of praising God. So firstly, where? The first question the psalmist answers, where is God to be praised? Having exhorted us to praise the Lord, the psalmist offers 10 brief lines of explanation and depiction. A feature often used in Hebrew poetry is the couplet, where two lines either repeat or build on or say the exact opposite to the first line. So we have these five couplets, and the first tells us where God is to be praised. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Those are the two locations with which the God of Israel was associated in the Old Testament. The psalmist is acknowledging that God is both present here on earth, so we ought to praise him here and in heaven, so the heavenly beings ought to praise him there. Now we know that God is everywhere. And Psalm 139 asks, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God is everywhere, yet he chose in the Old Testament to be particularly present in one earthly place, the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple. We, however, can praise him Anywhere, As Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The way was open for us to be forgiven for our sins and to enjoy God's holy presence. Seven weeks later, God's spirit was poured out and now lives in the hearts of all who believe and trust in Jesus. In his conversation with the woman at the well, Jesus said that the Father was looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. Jesus teaches the time has come when it's not the physical location that matters, but the heart. A few years ago, I spent the summer in China. It was a fantastic experience, and one of the aspects that I treasure most was the intimacy that it fostered with the Lord. Those verses from Psalm 139 meant uh, something to me anew as I literally settled on the far side of the sea. And I enjoyed praising the Lord in times by myself as I explored with believers, as I connected with them at church, with a Christian group on campus. I remember one evening staying in a national park. The, uh, the gates had closed. Uh, there was a youth hostel that you could stay in. The park was emptying. And as the sun was setting... I went out to the viewing platform that they had and found myself, much to my surprise, unaccompanied, alone, and sang praise. There's a line, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to sing your name, O Lord. We can praise God anywhere. We can praise him everywhere. 
And lockdown reminded us that it's more about the heart of worship than the physical location. We didn't stop being church because we couldn't come in to the building. We found creative ways of worshiping together. But at the same time, lockdown made clear to us that we do value, it is good to come together, to worship together, to see one another, to meet together and praise our God together. And if you're joining us online this morning, then we're thrilled that you're able to worship with us in that way. But we love when you feel able, when you're comfortable uh, and able to do so. We look forward to seeing you, welcoming you and worshipping with you. Let's praise him on earth wherever we are, wherever we go as he's praised in heaven. The second question the psalmist answers, verse 2, is why? Why praise God? If we need encouragement to praise what we should praise God for, as my heart often does, the psalmist encourages us, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. We've been reminded of the mighty heavens in verse 1, God's splendour in creation. We're told to praise him here for his hand in history, choosing a people for himself, delivering them from slavery, bringing them into the promised land. And for us, Jesus, the account the accounts of his life we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We praise God because he parted the Red Sea and ensured there was no one left to pursue his people. He stepped down into this broken world in the person of his son. He suffered and died in our place so that we could be set free from sin and death. And he rose again and sent his spirit that we would know the certainty of our salvation and the gift of his love at lit the gift of his love and life at work in us. We praise him because he's gone ahead of us to prepare rooms or mansions in his father's house. He intercedes for us today. He's come uh, and lives in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. We praise God because there's no one, nothing on earth like him. Nothing in heaven compares to him As we look around, his greatness exceeds all else. The fanciest supercar, the largest super yacht, the most beautiful diamond ring, the most faithful friend, the most loving family. He's greater than all these things. He made all things, all creation is his. He sustains it and he loves us. He set his his heart unswervingly upon us. No one that comes to him will he ever turn away. He gave his son, Jesus, that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, It's become clear to me this week that we value what we praise. This week, my wife, Claire, and I brought home a little puppy. Her name's Bella. She's a a controversial breed, I know. She's a French bulldog, uh, and she's very cute. But if you'd withhold judgment for a moment. Our last few days have been full of praise. 
praising her when she shows the kind of behaviour that we want to encourage, we want to see more of. Never before have we praised weeing, pooing, sitting with quite so much passion. But as we've praised, the value of those simple behaviours has grown in our estimation and we trust in Bella's. But God doesn't need us to praise him for his own sake, but for ours. As we praise him, as we call to mind all he's done, his acts of power, and meditate on who he is, his surpassing greatness, our love for him will grow and grow. As we're led in worship, we're reminded of who God is and why he's worthy of praise. The songs we sing speak of his surpassing greatness, his acts of power. And as we do life together and study his word and share our stories with each other, we're given cause to celebrate and praise him. So let's praise him for his acts of power and surpassing greatness. The third question the psalmist answers in verses three to five is how? How are we to praise the Lord? Here, the psalmist devotes three of these five couplets, half the entire final psalm, to the how of praise. His exhortation, praise God with the whole orchestra, the brass, the strings, the wind, the percussion. Praise him with the whole chorus, the dancers and their tambourines. The whole orchestra, along with those on stage playing and dancing to the glory of God. And it's loud. The symbols are mentioned twice, the resounding symbols. Grab your instruments. Call the Lord's people together with the sounding of the trumpet. Make a joyful noise. Clearly, there's a corporate sense to this worship. And for us, that might look like throwing ourselves into worship on a Sunday morning. And it's a delight to hear that and to be part of that. It might look like throwing ourselves into opportunities to worship with other Christians in groups, home groups during the week, or taking the opportunity when they come along to go to a Christian event or gathering or festival. Perhaps it looks like opening the cupboard and dusting off your instrument or having a conversation about joining the worship band. Maybe it looks like reading through the Psalms one a day. I checked and if you start today, you'll finish in time for New Year. To cultivate a heart of praise, you might like to find times in your day when you can listen to worship when you can listen and join in, be it on Spotify or YouTube or a CD or a cassette. You might like to put together a playlist of songs, hymns that you love and that help you to praise God throughout your day. So a few um, just concluding thoughts. Before the final hallelujah of the Psalter, the psalmist has one final exhortation, unique in the psalm, because there's no repetition. He says it once, and it's a line with which many of you will be familiar. He steps back from the context of the Lord's people and even the angels. He steps back and says, in light of how glorious God is, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
God is worthy of praise, so praise him. Who has breath? Not just us in this room, not just his people, but all people. Jews and Gentiles, those who know God, those who don't. Breath isn't limited to people though, is it? All animals have breath too and are included in this final picture of praise. Dogs and cats, blue whales and hippopotami, crocodiles and pelicans. Praise the Lord. And zoom out further still, the whole biosphere, all flora and fauna, everything that has breath, the trees, the flowers, the algae, the fungi, praise the Lord. Wherever, whyever, however you praise God, the psalmist is clear about one thing, praise him, praise the Lord. But that raises the question for us this morning, what if we're not feeling it? What if life's fallen apart? What if it's a wonder that we're here at all this morning? We feel a million miles from God and from this Psalm's jubilant praise. Well, that's okay. Wherever you're at, the Psalms give voice to you. Now, given the choice of these Psalms to preach from, I've been a bit cheeky in jumping straight to the end, seeing how it finishes. But the whole book takes us on a journey through life's ups and downs. They're a picture of, a roadmap for the Christian life. There's plenty of lament and plenty of praise. But interestingly, the majority of lament comes at the beginning through Psalm 88, which ends without any hope or resolution with this verse, you have taken from me friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. Maybe that's closer to where you feel, where you're at this morning, or you friends or family members who'd identify with that sentiment. And that's fine. The fact this psalm is in the Psalter, Psalm 88, gives us absolute permission to feel that way. And in the depths, to be real with God, he can handle it. Depression isn't new to him, nor is it taboo. But the Psalms don't end there. They go on to Psalm 150. The Psalms teach us the discipline of praising God. Wouldn't it be great to be able to pray, to say, to mean Psalm 150 each day, having journeyed with God through the ups and downs of life? Don't we want to be able to pray this psalm, declare it on our deathbed? To declare God's goodness through it all and our trust in him that the best is yet to come and encouraging those around us to praise him with us. I was once asked what the most important word in this psalm was. And it's a bit of a trick question. The group I was in offered all the obvious answers. Praise, surely. No. The Lord. No. God. No. We were beginning to grow desperate. As a clue, we were advised to look at how these other four books of Psalms end. All something like this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, Amen and amen. 
What's the most important word in Psalm 150? Amen. But it's not there. Exactly. Exactly. The other four books all end with a resounding amen. They all have neat, clear-cut endings. But this fifth and final book ends with praise and praise alone, as if to implicitly springboard us into eternal praise. An amen here would have looked like a neat way to round off the Psalter, to draw a line and move on. Job done. On to the Proverbs we go. But there's no amen. It's as if, wonderfully, the psalmist draws us into the continuing praise of the Lord. Two and a half thousand years later, and on into the age to come, where we'll praise the Lamb seated on the throne, with all our brothers and sisters from around the world and through every age. From every age. Still breathing? I hope so. Let's praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you that you are indeed worthy of praise. Would you lift our eyes to you and warm our hearts to praise you today and always. Amen.